The following shiur is presented by Dayan Shlomo Cohen, Dayan in Beddin Ahavat Shalom in Yerushalayim, an author of Pure Money. For more shiurim or information, please visit vshc.org or call 1-844-200-TSHC. That's 1-844-200-8742. Hi everybody, this is Rabbi Shlomo Cohen with the Shi'ur on Parshat Truma. The Jews were all asked to bring things for the Beit HaMikdash, offerings, and straight away everyone brought. That's one of the great things about the Jewish people, and you know that whenever money is needed, everyone is going to put their hands in their pockets and help. There's a special mitzvah of giving tzedakah. Tzedakah is a general mitzvah on every Jew to give an amount of money every year to charity. And that obligation can be filled with even a small amount. But every person depending on the bracha that Hashem has given them. Then there's another mitzvah which really today is more of a custom. But it's a custom that the Jews have taken upon themselves. And that is the mitzvah of Maaseh Safim. That means giving a tenth, or we'll see later on, the tenth is like a minimum, or then a twentieth is, twenty percent is actually the best thing that a person could do if he can afford to do it to give a portion of his earnings to charity. We're told that someone who is careful about giving is promised that they will have bracha in their parnasah and Hashem will give them more and more and more as they give more and more and more. Because that's once they're once they're giving a lot of their money to charity, then Hashem is going to open up the heavens and bless them with more and more parnasa. Of course, we have to be careful with all these things, right? Even though it seems to be, we're told the Chazal say that it's one of the areas that we're allowed to test Hashem in. But in anything like that. I mean, if we see that when, even though Yaakov was promised that his seed would be as many as the stars, as many as the sand, the grains of sand on the beach and in the world, that would be his, his, uh, his seed. But nevertheless, he was afraid when he went into war with Asaph. Why was he afraid? Because maybe he'd had hatayim, maybe he'd done sins, which because of them, he wouldn't deserve to get that special bracha. So, we have to be careful, of course, with all our things, if we want to be sure of getting this bracha. But what I wanted today to do is more go over how to make the calculation. They say about the famous Reichman, who was a multi-millionaire, billionaire maybe, that when they would ask him, what's the secret of your success? 
he would shrug his shoulders and say, Makpidala Maestris, that he's careful about his Maaser money. They say that he used to have a special office employing an accountant and a secretary that their whole job was just to make a calculation from all his world income so that he could give a clear 10% of what he was earning to charity. So let's go into a little bit the details of what you're allowed to deduct and what you're not allowed to deduct in order to make the calculation from how much, from what of your profits you should be giving Kaspe Maaser, this tithe to Hashem. Most of the poskim agree today, as I said before, that the mitzvah today of giving Maaser Kasafim is more of, is a custom in our time. There are opinions that it's from the Torah, there are opinions that it's rabbinical, but what seems to be accepted amongst the majority of the poskim is that in our times it's a custom. But nevertheless, it's a custom that we obligate ourselves to. Because it's a custom, they say that it's a good good thing when you start giving Masek Safim, that you should say Bli Neda. That you're not taking it on as an obligation. Because there may be times when it's much more difficult for you to do it. And so it's always best with something that's not, you can't say bli neda for a mitzvah, right? If you're obligated to do something, you can't say I'm going to do it bli neda. Because you're obligated to do it. But with Masek Safim, seeing as it's not a Torah obligation, or even a rabbinical obligation according to the majority of poskim, so when a person starts giving Masek Safim, it's a good idea to say that you're doing it bli neda. Right, of course, while we've mentioned nedas, and neda is a vow, Let's just mention that today in our times when a person promises to give money to charity even if they haven't given it yet that promise is a vow and the vow has to be kept. And so when we say or according to some post even when we think that we decide that you know, think a positive definite thought that we're going to be giving money to charity we now have a vow we have now made a vow and we have to keep that vow. But certainly the opinion of the Bet Yosef, the Shulchan Aruch, Maran, seems to be that this only happens when you say that you're going to definitely give. The opinion of the Ramah seems to be that it's even if you just think about it. So once a person has said that they're going to give money to charity, even if, um, even though in other obligations, a verbal obligation is certainly a moral obligation that everyone should keep, but it's not a contractual obligation. If I say that I'm going to sell you my car, right? I don't have to sell you my car. It's morally right for me to sell you my car. And it's morally wrong for me to not sell you my car. But it's not contractually right or wrong. I mean, I don't have an obligation contractually to sell you my car. But with charity, it's not like that. Once I've said that I'm going to give money to charity... I now have made a vow that I'm going to give that money to charity and I have to keep my vow. So that's how charity is more stringent than any other part of the Torah. Another area where charity is more stringent is in the case of what we call an asmachta. An asmachta is an obligation which really is not an obligation. You don't have to keep. 
without going into the nitty-gritty details of it, right? If you say, it's like a, the, the fines that we sometimes have in contracts, that if I break the contract, or if I do something wrong, or if I don't follow everything according to the letter, then I'll pay the other side a fine, right? That fine uh, is what we call an asmachta. And an asmachta is not valid. But to charity, to tzedakah, an asmachta is valid. If I were to say, if I'm going into a business project, and I were to say that if I make um, a profit, any I'm going to give 20% of the profit to charity. So once you've made that promise, even though it's an asmachta, something that really shouldn't obligate you, nevertheless, when it's to charity, it does obligate you, and you have to keep your word. Another example of how charity is much more stringent than other areas of normal financial obligations. But let's again now go through some of the different things that um, that affect the amount that you'd have to give. The Bet Yosef writes that the best way to give Masek Safim is if you have an amount of capital that you're about to invest in a business or open a business with, that first you should be giving 20% of the capital and then 10% of the earnings each year. Okay? Money that you've inherited from your parents, uh, an inheritance, even if the people who've, in, who've passed it down to you, even if your parents were taking Maaseh from all their money all their lives, nevertheless, when you receive that money, you now have to take Maaseh from it. Also, there's a different customs when, with an adunya. An adunya is the money that the parents give to their children when they're getting married. Do you need to take Maaseh from that? Right? From what the different, the, the parties bring into the marriage. Um, some have the custom of taking Maaseh from it, and others have the custom of not taking Maaseh from it. Right? So, it's not a clear obligation. What I can, what I do, do say is that when someone gives you money for a particular purpose, let's say parents give money to their children to buy an apartment, or they receive an inheritance with a specific purpose for the specific purpose of buying an apartment so that money does not need to have maaseh taken to, from it if you're given money to buy clothes if you're given money to buy a car something specific there isn't an obligation for you to take maaseh from that money that maaseh that money is not considered as earnings that would obligate you to take from the maaseh if you receive a gift of money, then you de- need to take maaser from it. And also if you were to find something, if you were to find lost property, if you were to find a sum of money which you're allowed to keep, then you'd be expected to take maaser from it. But if you receive a loan, from that you don't take maaser. That amount of money you don't need to take maaser. Let me just add in, if you find, if you find lost property, right? If you, someone finds a large sum of money, um, generally the halachai is that they would be allowed to keep it. 
But certainly, if you can return it, and, and that's when we're saying you would have to take Maaseh from it, but certainly if you can return it, then that's a very special thing. And it's what we call Lifnim Mishurat Adin. You're doing within the boundaries of law, and you can be sure that you'll have a tremendous bracha from that. There's a famous story of um, someone who moved into an apartment that he'd bought from a non-Jew. And he started rebuilding there, knocking down the walls, and he found a large sum of cash hidden within the walls. And he said he didn't know what to do with it. Does he have to? Is he, is he obligated to return it to the person he bought the apartment from, which to him it was clear that the money was his and he'd hidden it there and he'd forgotten, just forgotten about it. So he went to ask the great Rav Moshe Feinstein. And Rav Moshe Feinstein said to him, look, you can keep it. According to the strict letter of the law, you're allowed to keep that money. But if you give it back, you'll do a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. So the guy decided to take the Kiddush Hashem. And he gave it back. And today he's a multi-multi-millionaire. And he puts all his success, if you ask him, just to the fact that he gave back that money and did a Kiddush Hashem. A Kiddush Hashem is a tremendous thing. There's a story of a Jew, of a Jewish, uh, of, a, of a Hasid, who was waiting at a bus stop, an 18-year-old guy. He was waiting at a bus stop to get a bus back to, to Jerusalem, from Haifa, and he found a bag lying at the bus stop. And the bag was full of money. There was a hundred thousand shekels there in used notes. So he thought to himself, what am I going to do with this? I'm going to wait. Maybe someone will come back to claim it. So he waited there at the bus stop and his bus came. He was supposed to be taking a bus from Haifa back to Jerusalem. There's a bus every 20 minutes. And his bus came and he decided, I'm not going to get on the bus. Because if he were to get on the bus with that money, no one would ever find it again. No one would ever find him no way. So he sat there, stayed at the bus stop, and 20 minutes later, the next bus came. And he decided to miss that bus as well and hang up, carry on waiting. And he missed a third bus. And then this guy turned up and starts looking around at the bus stop. And he says to him, our 18-year-old Hasid says to him, are you looking for something? Can I help you? This was a totally non-religious guy. He looks at him and says, Nah, you can't help me with anything. Thank you. No, he didn't even say thank you. And he looked around. He's still looking around, looking really, really upset. And then he says, Tell me, can I help you? Are you looking for something? In the end, he said, Yeah, I'm looking for some money I lost. He said, How much money was in the bag? The guy said, 100,000 shekels. And he pulled out the bag from his from his carrying traveling case. He said, Here, look, is this yours? The guy said, Yeah. I couldn't believe it. This guy, it turned out, was a totally anti-religious person. He was a, he was an anti-religious activist. And when this Hasid, this 18-year-old Hasidic boy, gave him back the envelope with a hundred thousand shekels in it, he just couldn't believe it. And he changed his whole mind. He changed his whole way. From being an active anti-religious person, he changed completely. He wrote a large um, blog on his Facebook explaining how everything's changed now that he saw that this Jewish guy, this religious Jewish guy would do such a thing as return a hundred thousand shekels 
It was a tremendous, tremendous Kiddush Hashem. It was in all the, it was on the radio and in the, in the newspapers here in Israel. And I have no doubt that if we were to follow this boy, a Hasid Bells, if we were to follow him, he's going to grow up to be a tremendously wealthy person because he did this tremendous Kiddush Hashem. Anyway, let's get back, get back to our subject, right? We're saying that if you find lost property, you're expected to give Maaseya from that. Everything that you, um, all profits that you earn from your business, from selling things, and also what you get as a salary, and if you earn um, interest from a, loans to a non-Jew, and if you learn, and and shares of your investments, all these profits you need to take maaser from them, but only when they're realized, when they turn into cash. If you own, for example, stocks and the stocks go up, you don't need to take maaser from those stocks until you sold them. When you sold them, then you would take maaser from the profits. There are some people that say that you don't need to take maaser from inflation. So that would mean that if um, I bought stocks at the beginning of the year and, the, and I sold them at the end of the year and I made a 20% profit and inflation in that year was 5%, so I'd only need to give Maaser from 15% and not from 5%, not, not from the whole 20%. Not everyone agrees with that, but uh, there are many postkim that say that, that you don't have to give Maaser from inflation. But the main thing I wanted to point out from here is that you don't need to give profit, you don't have to give Maaser from any profits until they're realized. That means until they turn into cash. Of course, your salary, if you're an employee, you have to take Maaser from that. But if you do work from your, for yourself and You've now made your property, your property worth more. You've just built, let's say, you just built a deck in your back garden. So now that's put the price of your property up. But you built it, you don't have to take Marseille from it. When you sell your house in the end and you make more money on it, from that profit, you might have an obligation to take Marseille. The cost of feeding and clothing your family, you do not take off your profits. That means if I made business from my profits of a hundred thousand and I spent ten thousand on feeding my family, I have to take Marseille from the hundred thousand. And I don't take off the ten thousand and then take Marseille from what's left. But of course, all expenses that I have incurred in order to earn that profit, in earn that money, that I can take off from the amounts. Okay, and it's not connected to the taxman, right? The taxman has his own rules about what you're allowed to take off and what you're not allowed to take off. But we go according to the real situation. For example, um, all your costs of driving to work, you'd be able to take off your salary, even though the taxman might not agree. If you needed to buy a special clothes for your work, you'd be able to take those off, your salary, even if the taxman might not agree. Some taxmen do agree, some don't agree. It doesn't make any difference what they say, right? What it makes a difference is whether 
it's right and just to take it off. Is, is it an expense of earning the money? If it's an expense of earning the money, then you can take it off the profits before you have to take your maser. The same thing with taxes. Taxes you are allowed to take off. If you have to pay taxes, both federal taxes and state taxes, you're allowed to take them off your property or your, your profits before you calculate the amount that you need to take maser from. And of course the same thing would apply to insurance and all other direct expenses of your of your business. What if you have two separate businesses? A lot of people have two different businesses or two different sources of income. And it might be that in one year or in one period, one's making a profit and the other's making a loss. So what do you do? Are you supposed to take from each one separately? Let's say that I own a pizza shop and a hamburger shop. The pizza shop made a profit and the hamburger shop made a loss. Let's say the pizza shop made a profit of 50000 and the hamburger shop made a, made a loss of 25000 So do I take the 25 off the 50 and give myself from 25? Or do I have to give myself from the 50 and from the 25? I don't need to give anything. So the answer is, I am allowed to set one off against the other. Okay? So if in month one, my pizza shop made a profit of 50, and my hamburger shop lost 25, I would only need to give Maaseh from 25. Okay? What's going to happen though, if in the second, let's, let's say in the first six months of the year, my pizza shop made 50,000 and my hamburger shop lost 50,000. And then in the second half of the year, the pizza shop made 50,000, and the hamburger shop also made 50,000. Okay? So, if in the whole year, I've made a profit of how much? 100,000. So I would need to give, at the end of the year, I'd make a calculation, I'd give 10% of that, right? 10,000. But if I look at each part by itself, then in the first six months of the year, I made nothing, so I wouldn't be giving any maser. In the second six months of the year, wow, what a bad calculation I've made. I, did, I chose completely the wrong numbers. But you understand what I mean, that I make, I have to decide for myself how I'm going to be calc, how often I'm going to be calculating my maser money. I can either do it once a year, or I can do it every month, or I can do it after six months, but I have to be consistent about what I'm doing. Okay, if I've decided to do it once a year, let's say a simple situation, right? I don't need to have two businesses, just take one business. If I've decided to calculate my maaser once a year, so let's say that at the end of the year, my pizza shop made nothing. In the first six months of the year, my pizza shop made 100,000. And in the second six months of the year, my pizza shop... Um, lost a hundred thousand. So if I decided that I'm going to be taking Maaser every six months, then after the first six months I'll be giving Maaser of ten percent of the hundred thousand. And in the second six months of the year I made a loss of a hundred thousand. 
Now, the, here it's not like the tax man that you can add up your losses. You don't add up your losses. You made no profit in the second six months of the year. So you don't have to give any maser in the second six months of the year. But we don't give you a minus. Right? So if you were to take a calculation every six months, in that year you'll have paid 10,000 in maser, right? 10% of the 100,000 you earned in the first six months. But if I was to be doing my calculation yearly, then at the end of the year I made nothing. So I wouldn't be giving any maser. So you see, it can make a big difference how you decide to calculate your maaser. How often? Is it going to be every month? Is it going to be every six months? Is it going to be every year? A person needs to do whatever is going to be more convenient for him, whatever is works out good for him. Okay, but whatever you, when you make that decision, you need to be firm in that decision and not change. Once you've made your calculation about how much you're going to be separating for Maaser, so the best thing is to separate that money and put it into a separate account. Right? And there you can keep it there until you find the um, purpose that you want to give your money to. You don't have to give the money straight away. You can separate it into a separate bank account and keep it there on the side until you find out how much, uh, sorry, to who you want to give the money. Of course, there are many, many good causes. The best thing to do with our miser money, they say, is to give it to Tamidi Chachamim, to give it to Yeshivot. But of course, it's also a very good thing to support the poor. And there are many other mitzvahs that a person can do with his maaser money, whether it's... Um, all sorts of organizations that are doing all sorts of chesed, whether it's chesed with sick people or chesed with healthy people. All types of chesed, all types of mitzvot are things that you can do with your maaser money. But you can also um, help to marry people off. Sometimes you can help to marry your children off. But the basic idea is, as far as your children are concerned, anything that you're obligated to do, you can't use your maaser money for. But anything that you're not obligated to do, you can use your maaser money. So let's say you have an older child who's learning in yeshiva in, in, or in kolel. So you have no obligation to support him anymore. When he was a child up until the age of 18, you had an obligation to support him. Now you have no further obligation to support him. So you'd be allowed to use your maaser money to help support him in yeshiva, in kolel. If he wants to go to kolel and learn, you'd be able to support him with your maaser money. Okay? And even with a younger child, you know, it's always, if you can, if you, for people who can't afford it, and they're sending their children to private schools to get a Jewish education, a Torah education, certainly everything that's connected to their Torah education, you can do that from your maaser money, because again, it's not something that you're obligated to do. Right? So once you're not obligated to do something, then you can use your maaser money for it. They say as far as buying mitzvot in the shul, when you buy them, you should buy them with the intention that you're going to be paying that debt with your maaser money. You're going to be buying them with your maaser money. Then that's okay for you to buy mafdir yonah, which you know is a special segura for panasad. All the people that like to buy it, hatan Torah, hatan Bereshit, or even just a simple aliyah on Shabbat. 
all these things, they're things you're allowed to use your maaseh money from because they're mitzvot. But if when you bought that aliyah, you didn't have intention to pay it from your maaseh ksafim, then you wouldn't be able to because now you have a debt. And to pay a debt from maaseh ksafim, you're not allowed to do. Okay? So there are a number of things that you've we mentioned today in today's show. You're allowed to take off your Maasek Safim, things that you're not allowed to take off your Maasek Safim. If you have a question, you should ask uh, uh, someone who's an expert in these halachot. And Bezrat Hashem, by being careful about these halachot, we will have a lot of bracha in our parnasah. As Chazal said, somebody who wants to become very wealthy should be careful about his Maasek money. Bezat Hashem and Yivarechet Kulam, Megam Betatzmi, that we should have bracha in our parnasa and Shefa Rav, bracha v'atzlacha in everything we're doing. Thank you all the best. Shabbat Shalom. This audio series has been brought to you by the Sephardic Halacha Center. The center is committed to advancing research and application of halacha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a halachic consultation, monetary Beddin services to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha Journal or for all other information please call 1-844-200-TSHC or email info at org to subscribe.